This is the Bama Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we continue our look at the responses to Hellenism in the world of first century Judaism, this time examining the group known as Herodians. Yeah, and again, we're going to eventually get into a presentation with a few photos just to try to help have an understanding and learn from this. But here's the roadmap I want to take today for this discussion. I want to start by explaining the Herodians in concept. I want us to think about it, try to relate to it, reflect on it, and then I want to look at the presentation. I want to, and, and as we do, I want us to be able to really reflect on it even more deeply. So that's the roadmap I want to take today. About so, are Herodians? Is that a term that we see in the Gospels? It is. It's going to be used twice in your Gospels at at least. I think it's twice. Um, it's at least twice. It's, there may have been a few more uses. It's used in Josephus. Josephus will talk about the Herodians. And we are going to use the term very loosely. Pretty much all of our terms we're going to use very loosely for the sake of our conversation. A ton of historical debate, like I said. A fun discussion tool would just be to spend some time doing some research on these groups and see what you can find and talk about it. Well, I'm assuming, you know, just in the history of the United States, the terms Republican and Democrat have shifted, you know, dramatically over the course Absolutely. of a couple of centuries. So yeah. I'm I'm assuming that it's probably a similar kind of idea where, you know, maybe at one point it meant something and at a different point it meant something else. Right. Yeah. So I'm sure if uh, – I mean, this is one of my favorite portions of our whole, like, in essence, it's the beginning of session three. It's kind of the center of our – Chiasm. Oh wow! It's one. It's <laughs> one of our. Uh, it's one of my favorite portions of the whole study that we'll do. But I'm sure if a true historian, like a PhD, uh, like they wouldn't be listening to our podcast anyway. But if they were, they would just lose their mind over the oversimplified way that I treat these groups. So I just want to say that up front. But I do it on purpose so that we can relate to this history without being a true academic and all the detail, try to make it more practical so we can learn from the general ideas. Herodians, I mean, we we really don't know a whole lot. History doesn't reference them directly, but Josephus does. We know that they were a group. We know that they were a group that people would have known about and talked about. We wrestle with how formal of a group. Did Herodian, obviously it's a reference to Herod, they're followers of Herod the Great. Um, Is this a formal followership? Like, is this a party? Is this a group of people that have said, I'm for Herod, and that means X, Y, and Z? Do you carry a card around identifying exactly. yourself? Yeah. Do you, yeah. Do you have a little lapel tag on your prayer shawl that says, Herod's great, or whatever? Like, I don't know. I don't, um, so we don't know how formal of a of a partnership or a allegiance, or does it just refer to general people that we're, we're going to use it in a very general, uh, very loose sense, this idea of Herodians. So let, let me just take off from where we were with the Sadducee conversation last discussion, last podcast. Let's say you have the same worldview as a Sadducee. Let's say you're not a priest because all Sadducees were priests. Um, we almost made that point. You were asking some questions that got really close to this last time, Brent, but every Sadducee was a priest, but not every priest was a Sadducee in the same way that you asked about Levites and Zadokim. Every Zadokim was a Levite, but not every Levite was a Zadokim. The group of Levites was bigger than the Zadokim. In the same way, priesthood was bigger than Sadducees, although by far most priests were Sadducees. So every Sadducee was a priest, but not every priest was a Sadducee. Have I explained that well? Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. So what if you weren't a priest? You weren't a descendant of Levi. You were just a normal Jew descended from any other tribe. But you 
you your approach to Hellenism was the exact, maybe not the exact same, but your approach to Hellenism was very similar to that of a Sadducee. What would you say the Sadducee's approach to Hellenism was, Brent? Like, hey, whatever, whatever we can use to our advantage. Yeah, this is great. Um, now, let's say you had the same view of Hellenism, but you weren't a priest. You just said, man, Hellenism is great. Like, have you ever experienced running water? Have you seen the new marble pillars that they put in over Cardo? Like, have you seen the artwork that they just installed at the entrance to the gymnasium? Have you heard the latest like lecture that was given at the... Did you go see the last show that was in the theater? Did you, you know... If you had this approach to Hellenism, like, I love this. This is great. Like, Rome, Alexander the Great... And I don't think I have to sacrifice any of my Jew- Judaism and any of my God worship in order to enjoy Hellenism. That's Herodian. Herodians are the party that says, I can have a little bit of Rome, and I can have a little bit of God and Judaism, and I can put the two together, and I don't have to. Now, obviously, there's a huge spectrum of people that would have fully embraced Hellenism, people that would have kind of moderately embraced Hellenism, people that would have reluctantly embraced Hellenism. But I hope at this point in the conversation, it's easy to make the parallel because I think by far, almost all of our listeners, myself included, there's going to be very few exceptions in our world, American Christianity. We need to realize that we are Herodian. Now we're on different parts of the spectrum. Some of us are reluctantly Herodian. I would like to put myself in that group, but I got my iPhone. I got my iMac. I got my Apple watch. I got my, I got my luxury. I live in a pretty nice home. I drive a suburban. Like I I got, I got enough luxury and quite frankly, I kind of like it. Yeah. And I struggle with that. I'm reluctantly Hellenistic. Like you were talking about, like, oh, did you see that latest show at the theater? It's like, well, we have theaters now, too. It's just a slightly different kind of show. Yeah. But, like, I have movie pass. Yep. So I go to the theater all the time. That's right. <laughs> like, did they have theater pass? Right. And are these things inherently wrong? I, I mean, it's we we have to wrestle with that. No. Theater's not wrong. It's not sin. Uh, wealth is not sin. It's not wrong. Uh, luxury. There's nothing wrong with luxury. Plumbing. Is there something wrong with plumbing? Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things. There's nothing wrong with an iPhone. And we can have a further discussion about those kind of things. But there's nothing wrong with the... It's the message that lies behind all of the things. The contents of Hellenism are not sinful. They're amoral. They're they're neutral. I don't know if I would agree with that, but you get the idea. They're, They're not the issue. The issue is the worldview of Hellenism that says you are the center of the world. Wealth is not the problem. It's what wealth, it's the story that wealth tells you. Theater and entertainment is not an issue. It's art. Art is, man, art. Like God's the, like the original artist. Like art is very rooted in Godness. However, when you put art in a Hellenistic context, it can teach the wrong message. It can tell you the wrong story. When art comes from a God perspective, it tells a different story. So the things aren't the problem. I don't want to communicate that. It's very popular amongst my college students to hear a lesson on Hellenism and want to go out and reject Hellenism and then struggle because we are all on some level Herodians at heart. And like I said, different parts of the spectrum. Some of us are moderately Hellenistic. 
And then some of us, I always have one or two students on every trip to Israel and Turkey that are just proud about their Hellenism and they make the discussion an awful lot of fun. I remember my very first trip, Paris Shuey. I don't know if he's listening to our podcast, but Paris Shui was the funniest guy. Every time we would talk about Hellenism, he'd be in the back going, yeah, baby, tell me some more. <laughs> so we find ourselves all over, but most of us as listeners here are going to struggle with Herodian, uh, a Herodian worldview. So it's going to be very good for us to, to think about that. We are convinced we can have our luxury. We can have our technology. We can have our America. We can have our whatever it is. You fill in the blank. We're pretty convinced we can have that and God. I don't have to pick. They're not mutually exclusive. Um, And we're going to want to wrestle with that. I think in large part that's true. There are some dangers that come with that. And so we got some pictures for you we want to show you. Um, And this is a place called Zapori. It was ancient, uh, known to the Jews as Sepphoris. Or should I say, I think I got that backwards now that I said that. I think Zippori was what it was known to the Jews in Hebrew. Sepphoris is its Greek Roman name. Um, And uh, it originally was a Jewish village, and then it it led a revolt essentially against Rome, and Rome absolutely destroyed it. And then one of Herod's sons rebuilt it as a Herodian colony. So still inhabited by Jews, almost as far as we know, almost entirely. There's no... Greeks or Romans here. It's a Jewish population, but they are Herodian. And you're going to see it. Like, And you haven't seen something yet to juxtapose this, but just hold on to these pictures. And then when we get to our last group, I want to show you pictures, and then you'll be able to compare and, and examine what I'm talking about here. But, so again, if you've got a, uh, a podcast player that sports chapter markers, we'll have these photos popping up as we talk about them. Yeah, perfect. Uh, but you can also open up the presentation like you've always done. And Love it. be there as well. There you go. So this first photo should be popping up now. Um, is uh, There you go. I gave you your chapter. You got there. it. Um, uh, is, is a, is just on the out. It's like a walkway along the side of a road down one of the main streets. I can't remember if this is Cardo or Decuminus. I think it's Decuminus. Um, by the way, we've never really talked about that. Come on my trip. We'll study this some more. Um, but Cardo and Decuminus are the two main streets, one that runs north and south, one that runs east and west. In almost all Greco-Roman cities are built on a grid um, that at its center point is two streets called Cardo and Decuminus. It's kind of like they're two main streets. So this is on one of those main streets, and it would have probably sat underneath a walkway under a an eave, like a, a stone ceiling held up by marble pillars. And you can just, that's mosaic. Like that's not painted. These are little stones that have been used to pave the sidewalk. Like that's a big deal. And this is from the rebuilt version of the city that was done by Herod's son. Yes. So this is the, yes, this is the Herodian city. And you can tell that because if it was a Jewish, if it was just a truly Orthodox Jewish fishing village, you wouldn't have, we don't, we're not going to waste our time with this because we, we need to we need to vote to devote ourselves to following God. But if, if it's a Herodian village, well, I kind of like a little bit of art. I kind of like a little bit of luxury. I kind of like a little bit of aesthetic pleasure. I like things to look nice in Roman. And so you, you get this. Um, the next few pictures are all going to come out of what's called the Nile House in the ruins of Zippori. Uh, the Nile House is this very large house, multiple bedrooms, kind of like we looked at with the Sadducees. Um, very large home. A palace would not – it's a villa is what they call it. Um, but a palace wouldn't be far off uh, to give you the right idea. But you'll just notice uh, the mosaic in, in the different rooms 
uh, of the home. I mean, these are intricate. Look at the detail of that mosaic floor. Go ahead and go to the next photo there, Brent. Man, I just, I see this and I am just blown away. How much did they pay for this? How much? And again, why? Now, we can relate to this. I used to, and I used to have a lot different position when I was younger about this stuff when I very first learned it over a decade ago. I used, to, I used to really critique this. And now, just as I grow older, I don't know if it's wisdom or maturity or just I, I'm, I don't have the passion and care as much as I used to. I don't know. But we build homes and we put in grounder countertops. Why? Granite countertops? What did I say? Granite countertops? Granite countertops. Oh that's fantastic. <laughs> we put in granite countertops. Um, we do other things. Maybe granite countertops is not the best example. But we do things where we put them into our homes purely for the pleasure, for the aesthetic attributes. For, we do things that we spend extra money for that have very little practical value to them other than just pleasing. They're pleasing to me. This is an example of that. Now, truly, somebody could appreciate the art and the art here is fantastic. And I'm not bashing art. My goodness, I love art. And if this is somebody that wanted to pay that kind of money because they truly valued art, I don't know if I can critique that at all. But you're starting to get a feel for Herodian. Hopefully this feels a little bit like home. Next picture. Just some more mosaic. Um, and and does this artwork, does this communicate anything in their in their culture, their worldview? Like is it, is it saying anything or is it purely visual? Well, um, it could be saying some things. Mostly it's visual. Maybe in like more mystical traditions, it might have a whole lot of stuff underneath it. Like the symbolism could be coming from somewhere. But the one thing I would point out here is if this is a Jewish home, you are seeing exactly what you would expect. Um, you are not seeing Greco-Roman images. These are all geometrical patterns. Uh, Judaism at this point in their history had uh, come to believe that you are not supposed to put images. Um, you, you can't draw images. You can't use images. God said, don't worship graven images. And they said, well, I'm just not going to put graven images anywhere. And so if you're in a Greco-Roman home, you're going to see all kinds of pictures and nudity and all kinds of images of created things and people. Um, but here you're seeing a lot of geometrical patterns. And so you're you're looking at this going, okay, this is very, this is wealthy. This is Herodian but this is Jewish. And when I'm with my students here in this house, I like to stop right here and just ask them, are these people still committed, devoted Jews? And at this point, it's kind of hard to argue they're not. They just appreciate, they have money, they have wealth, and they appreciate the more aesthetic pleasures of life. But then, let's see what our next picture is. You get into the deeper, more intimate levels of the house. This is not the part of the house that other people are going to see. This is the same house. This is still the Nile house, the Nile villa. Um, but this is now in a much more private, more intimate quarters of the home. All of a sudden, we're getting images. This is looking very Hellenistic. Now, and this is all the floor, right? This, this is just is all the floor. flooring. And this is all mosaic. Like it is hard to wrap our, and again, we haven't seen the triangle yet. I haven't shown you uh, the Galilee. I haven't shown you Pharisees yet. Um, so you don't have anything to compare this to if you're listening to this for the first time. This is astounding. The the money and the effort and the, whew, it is hard to comprehend. It's hard to communicate to you um, what you are looking at here. 
as far as the time and energy and money that went into putting this on their floor. This is their TV. They don't have TV, obviously, in their room. This is as close to TV as they get. Like this is their, this is their Game of Thrones. This is their um, House of Cards. This is their, I don't know, I'm trying to pull out relatively popular shows. Um, I, I do. Well. I do poorly here because I'm not truly a Herodian. Oh, uh, okay. All right. <laughs> I mean, are we going for like, like, I mean, they're spending huge amounts of money on this, like, and yep. they're, they're huge installations. So this is like Lord of the Rings kind of yeah. Oh, yeah, scale yeah, yeah. Yeah. or yep. Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah. Like, yep. the, these houses aren't small. Yeah. There's, you know, 20 rooms, like there's 20 movies in the Marvel Universe. Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. So, so let's go to the next, let's see what we got in the next picture. Okay. So now this is getting a little bit trickier because now... We have, um, we're starting to get into a little bit of Greek mythology. Uh, so now we're starting to see some gods. Is that okay? This is Herodian. Uh, I mean, they're okay with it. They would say, I still worship God. I appreciate a little Greek mythology. Who doesn't? I mean, I don't, I don't worship that. I don't go to, I don't go to the temple of Pan. Do we know who this God is that we're looking at? I cannot remember. I would have to go check my notes which I don't have with me, um, but I cannot remember. We're going to, let's go to the next one. Okay, there's Pan. So that's the god of, we'll talk about that more in the Gospels. That's the god of essentially sexual fertility and um, uh, the goat god. He's body of the goat, torso of a man, head of a goat. It's Pan. Really ugly, disgusting worship. This would be, uh, this, would, this would be like uh uh, this would be soft core porn. Um, and really, and they're not going to see it that way. They're just going to be like, who doesn't appreciate a little pan mythology? I don't worship pan. I don't go to pan's temple. I worship the God of Israel. Who doesn't enjoy a little bit? It's just a story. Um, I hope we're relating to this. Like, I, I hope that we're like, golly. Okay, so let's go to the next picture. Okay, so this is, and you have to like kind of let your eyes adjust this photo to see everything that's going on here. This is the main, this is like the main living area. This is a, this is the table. This is where they're going to have their triclinium. This is like their dining room slash reclining area. There's and, not a lot of perspective in this photo, but this is a huge room. This is a huge room, and this mosaic is on the floor in front of them. And you sit, you dine, if anybody's ever studied the Passover and Triclinium's, you dine around the outside of this. So this is kind of like the centerpiece. This is the show, if you have dinner in a show. This is the show portion of your, you invite people over, you're going to sit around this. And this tells, the reason they call it the Nile House is this table, the centerpiece here, the mosaic, tells the story, the Egyptian mythology of the Nile. Now, again, do they worship the Egyptian gods? No. I can, I can almost guarantee you this family doesn't worship the Egyptian gods. But this is what they put in their dinner table. Well, and that kind of, I feel like there's maybe some biblical precedent for, I don't know the precedent, but there's, like, there's a reason to study this because okay. these are the yeah. gods that sure. the god they actually worship defeated. Yes, yes. And I love that you're saying that because I love to bring my students here and just wrestle. Like, as if you're listening to this podcast, if you have a discussion group, man, I hope you're wrestling with this. Because there is, this is not black and white, moral and immoral, ethical and unethical. And I always get to this point and I ask my students, okay, is there anything wrong with this? And by and large, most of my group at this point in the house is like, yes, they are compromising. 
And I love to just, <laughs> just lay it on my listeners and say, wait a minute, is this not exactly where you and I live? I, I watch Game of Thrones. I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Probably shouldn't be. I don't know. I have this. I mean, my, my centerpiece is a little different. But I, I have figured out in my mind, I can appreciate and think critically about art over here. And I don't worship this. And now, my mom would totally disagree with me. So what do you do with that tension? What do you do with that we live here all the time. And so everybody that always says, well, I shouldn't say everybody, most everybody that says, oh, yeah, they're, they're definitely compromising here, will immediately have to backtrack when I ask them, wait a minute, isn't this exactly what you do when you go back home? And the answer is absolutely. This is where we live. We are Herodians. So let's see what our next, we got a couple close-ups of the, this is a couple, couple scenes on that Nile centerpiece there. Um, I don't think that has anything to do with God mythology as much as just the story of the Nile, um, the story of the animal kingdom, uh, the hunter and its prey is a big theme of the Nile mythology. Uh, next picture. There's some more, yeah, some more stuff here. It's just, it's telling a story. Does it matter? I don't know. Do we think about your Netflix usage? Does it matter? Um, yeah. And then finally, we have this. So we could leave the Nile home and go to this picture. Um, and this is another home entirely. And uh, it, another multi-room home, very wealthy home. We're still in the same city, right? Same city. Still in Zipporah. We've just left, went to the other, kind of the other corner of town. Probably a slightly different, this was up on a hill. So it's either up on the hill or a slightly different age of the city. Same era for sure, for certain, for certain. And this, they call this the Mona Lisa of the Galilee. This is the Mona Lisa of the Galilee. It is hard to believe this, but what you are looking at is a mosaic. This mosaic has 22 and a half million pieces in it. 22 and a half million pieces make up this mosaic. If I could do one of those whistles, I can't whistle, but if I could yeah. do one of those, like, like, ooh, impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I don't it, know. Can you do that? Whew. Yeah. That's yeah. the one. There we go. Yeah. This is, this is a, this is a big deal. The, the, your next, you're going to, this next photo here, you zoom in on the, that's the Mona Lisa. Most, uh, um, uh, archaeologists that have worked here believe that she's probably, that is probably the lady of the house. It's probably a portrait of this this table, this triclinium, was probably put together and purchased by the patriarch of the family in order to honor the matriarch. And there is a pretty darn good. That's a mosaic, Brent Billings. That's about as. I mean, that's that that would be a pretty great painting. And that's a mosaic. Yeah, at this at this zoom level, you can start to see the pieces a little bit, but the original picture. Uh, we were far enough back, which is pretty much how it was uh -huh. when we were standing there. Uh -huh. And then, wow. Yeah. Now, uh, that's Lady of the House, but the centerpieces go in this, it tells like there's a spiral. You go on this spiral path that tells the, myth, the Greek mythology. And the centerpiece, like the center, it culminates in the climax of the story is the story of Dionysius, the Greek god of wine and orgy, drinking Zeus under the table. Like Dionysius, whenever he has a drinking bout with the gods, he always wins because he's the god of wine and orgy. And so Zeus has accepted the 
um, the challenge, and he's just been, there's Dionysius raising his glass of wine. Um, You can see in other portions of the table, you'll notice Pan just to the left of that centerpiece in this photo. Um, It's facing another direction, but you can see Pan there towards the left. And uh, this is total Greek God-driven mythology. And uh, this just gives us an idea. And I don't have some thunderous conclusion and resolution here, but this is our world. And I love to come here and wrestle with what is what is the positive and what is the negative? Because this is our world. Now, the positive, um, wh- what do you suppose, Brent, from your perspective, what is it that these people bring to the table? Well, they, they're familiar with uh, this culture. Okay. And God wants to do what to this culture? He wants to change it, yeah. save it. He wants to redeem it. He loves it. Redeem it. He loves Greeks. He loves Romans very much. He loves them as much as he's loved ever any Jewish person that's ever been a part of the story. And he wants to redeem their story. And so this world that they're a part of matters very, very much to God. And who knows this world better than Herodians? They're perfectly placed for God's mission, right? They they are, you, you want to redeem theater? Do you want to use theater to reach a world that's... Um, that's immersed in media. Well, who's going to know theater better than who, Brent? The Herodians. The Herodians. You want to uh, you want to be? What if you wanted to be an athlete, a world champion athlete, and use it to tell God's story? Well, who's better placed to be an athlete than Herodians? What if you wanted to be an educator or a doctor? Well, who's better placed to impact the world for the God narrative than Herodians? They are perfectly placed to impact the world around them because they understand it. They are in the middle of it. They engage it every single day. But what's the challenge, Brent? The challenge is not falling into it and and letting it consume you and absolutely worshiping it ultimately. Bingo. It's the idolatry. Obviously, we can't go to any of these homes. We can't go to the Mona Lisa of the Galilee. We can't go to the Nile house and sit there and make a judgment on whether or not these families Love the Lord their God with all their heart and all their soul and all their might. We just don't know. But we can definitely see the danger. Because the danger here for little sexual immorality, the danger here for kind of stomping on the outsider and the marginalized, taking advantage of the poor. I mean, who built these homes? Was it was it slave labor? Was it... There's a danger here because of what I want and what I enjoy and what I'm, there's a danger here for me to forget about the mission of God and push it to the side. And in, in one sense, this is exactly what we got done studying in session two. You add house to house and field to field. You, you're heroes at drinking wine. As I sit here looking at that last slide with Dionysius at the center of the table here. Like you're heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks, Isaiah said in Isaiah 5. Um, This is the danger of the Herodian. And for most of us listening to this podcast, it's our danger too. We we want a little luxury. We want to talk all about our worship of God. Um, But quite frankly, I want to be comfortable. I want to have, I want to have my power. I want to have my privilege. I want to have my influence. I want to have my comfort, and I'll follow God all day long. Just don't challenge those things. And unfortunately, the way of God constantly challenges those things. And uh, that's the danger of being a Herodian. 
And again, we don't know what the situation was. You can bet with pretty good certainty that the patriarch of the house wasn't laying down 22 and a half million pieces. So somebody else is doing it. That's absolutely right. But are they slaves or are they just workers? Yeah. Are they paid well or not? We we don't know any of that. Absolutely. Yep. So we have some wrestling to do. We do. I think with this one, probably more than any of the responses, because this is where we identify. Yeah. And I think, you know, that city, uh, Zippori, is three miles away from Nazareth, the the Nazareth of Jesus, right? Um, In between Nazareth and Zippori, I've walked there before, is a stone quarry. Joseph was, we, we say a carpenter. Joseph was in the Greek a tecton. Tecton is not typically a carpenter. They would have probably been trained in working with wood. But in their day, they're not working with wood. They're working with stone more often than anything else. That, so it is, it is most likely, we don't know for certain because we weren't there, but it is most likely that Joseph worked in that stone quarry just outside of Nazareth, sitting between Nazareth and Sapori. And that stone quarry was owned by Herod. So a great wrestling match is to ask yourself, what kind of family was Jesus raised by? And we don't know. There's no way to know. It's absolute speculation. So don't get wound up in it because I'm not sure there's an answer until we get to heaven if we get the opportunity to ask. I, I don't know. But there is a good chance that Jesus had possibly was raised with a Herodian um, exposure. He talks about, he quotes plays. Like Jesus is going to quote Euripides, um, a play called Trojan Women. Uh, Troy, Troy, how I long to gather you as a hen gathered. It's, he, he talks about upokritas. We say hypocrites, but the word means actors. Apparently, Jesus grew up around theater, in theater. Um, it's just an interesting thing to wrestle with. It's an interesting thing to see the implications of. Perhaps eating food that was bought with wages that came from Herod. Exactly. Absolutely. And that just makes your head spin. Um, but more on that later. That's the Herodians. All right. Well, like I said, we we have a lot of wrestling to do, so we hope you find a discussion group. Uh, if you don't know of one in your area, check out the map. Uh, you might you might find we've just added a few more uh, groups recently. Uh, very exciting. Uh, if there isn't one in your area, you're welcome to start one. We'll we'll help walk you through that. We've got a guide on the website, uh, babeonestablishup.com. It's on the schedule page. Uh, you can find the map there. You can find the guide that talks about how to start a discussion group. Uh, but either way get some people together and talk this through, wrestle with it, uh, figure out where, you know, where are you compromising and where are you, where has God placed you where you're perfectly in line to, uh, to impact the culture around you. Uh, so thanks for joining us on the Baymont podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.